This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Stephen Pesavento. And for as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. And each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. Mindsetters, welcome back. We got another great episode here. Mitch Steven, a phenomenal real estate investor who's done over 2,000 plus owner finance deals since 1996. Incredible the volume that this guy has put out. He is phenomenal at going out and raising a lot of money, going out and finding properties and then you know, turning and owner financing them. But what I really loved about this conversation was not the tactic that he's using. It's about the way that he thinks about it and how he ended up getting there. He had this moment in his life where it was this time to just make a change and just, you know, start going in a different direction. And that's when he really fell into the personal development and mindset movement of understanding, hey, I've got to make a change in the way that I think so I can open up all this potential and possibility from the financial side. And so we get into the mindset of money. How do you got to think about this differently? How are you going to raise capital um, and some of those things? And so there are some really big ideas in here. I hope you guys will enjoy it once you dive in. So Without further ado, I want to remind you, if you love the show, make sure you don't miss an episode. Hit that subscribe button, ding the bell if you're on YouTube, so you make sure you get those notifications. And if you love what we're doing, really would appreciate if you could drop us a nice five-star review or share it with somebody that you love uh, so that they can get some value out of it. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. All right, guys, welcome back to another exciting episode of the Investor Mindset Podcast. I'm excited. I have Mitch Steven in the studio today. How are you doing, Mitch? This is Mitch. I'm doing fine. How are you? I am doing well. I'm doing spectacular, actually. And Mitch has been self-employed real estate investor for over 20 years, and his real estate investing career started at the age of 23. His company specializes in buying distressed properties with other people's money and selling those with owner financing to new homeowners, and he's sold over 1,500 since 1996. Uh, Really excited to get into some of this experience and learn from his mindset. So you ready to jump into things, Mitch? Yeah, just a couple of corrections. I started my career at at, at 21 or whatever, but it was like eight or nine or 10 years before I went full-time. So I'm now 58 years old. I bought a house every four to five days for 22 years. Uh, i I've been self-employed for 24 years, but I took a little two-year hiatus off in the middle um, to recoup some energy. So, and and, and and it's up to 2,000 houses, not 1,500 nowadays, but who's counting? Wow. <laughs> Clearly, Mitch is counting because he just keeps growing that business. So, obviously, you've hit some success. You've found your stride, but why don't we start out by taking a look back? What events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today? Well, I mean, athletics, my dad's a Marine, played football at SMU and played football in the Marines. I mean, a- athletics built a really strong foundation. Um, it's, I don't quit easy, you know what I mean? And I, don't, and I don't cry over pain. And, you know, I say I don't cry. You know, I've had that athletic background for a long time. And I, I was always the smallest guy on the team. And I always started every, every, every game. I was the tailback. So, like, I was in the middle of everything. And uh, I learned – about sweat and hard work and broken bones and broken noses and, and uh, getting back up and, you know, dusting off and getting back out there. That's probably the biggest thing. Second biggest thing is, uh, you said you get personal. Here it is. You know, I, I was in love with someone. We, we, we've been living together for five years. Got left for a very rich 
gentleman rancher and uh pissed me off uh i couldn't blame her not one bit mm-hmm. uh, but it pissed me off because i was blaming me and i just looked in the mirror and said that ain't never going to happen again so i just i don't care if i have to sleep on the floor for eight years by myself i'm not i'm not going back out into the world until i have my financial world straightened out and and everything's okay so i set on that journey about 25 years old and uh proceeded to study money and financial freedom and started reading you know no one ever talked about it went to whole damn umpteen years of school no one ever talked crap about financial freedom or how you're supposed to pay for all this crap they just i don't know they teach you how to add but they don't teach you what how to get something to add you know they don't teach you how to get anything to add up so yeah, so you had this really powerful reason. All of a sudden, you had this really deep motivation. Somebody that you loved and cared about so much left you, and you you felt like this was the solution. Hey, I'm going to get my financial self in order. And then what happened next? I just you know I started reading Robert Allen's Nothing Down and Psycho Cybernetics, and I, I started learning having all these massive revelations about about uh, why I'm stuck. You know why was I stuck? Because and I, I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about how the mind worked. I didn't know how to, you know, how you semi brainwash yourself into this stuff. You know, I didn't understand that you just, yeah. you know, you didn't need money to make money. I thought, you know, that was in that quandary. I had a lot of mental roadblocks. You know, I didn't go to college. I didn't have a degree. Um, that mm-hmm. weighed on me for a little while. But after reading Think and Grow Rich, you know, some of the wealthiest people in the world. world didn't even go to high school, you know? So, and you didn't have to have money and you didn't have to be exactly brilliant to be able to figure out how to build a car and get it to come out of an assembly line on the other end. You know, Ford, Henry Ford, they, they tried to say that he, he wasn't worthy because he didn't have a, he wasn't from Harvard. He didn't went from Yale. And uh, so they're going to get him in a, room and ask him a bunch of questions and they said go ahead i'll answer any question you got and they asked him a question he picked up the phone and said hey tell me the answer to this question they said you can't do that and he said well why can't i <laughs> all you said is i need to answer your question you didn't say i had to i had to come up with the answer so i, I took a lot of lessons from that like i don't have to know how to do everything take the things you don't know how to do or mm-hmm. or that you're or that you don't want to do and find somebody who lives for that crap <laughs> And that's such a big realization to realize that somebody else might really love doing the things you don't love doing that much. So I want to I want to touch on something that I think I think was really big there. You talked about realizing that this whole idea of we're brainwashing ourselves. And it sounds like what you were saying is we're either brainwashing ourselves believing we can't do it or that we can. What did you realize back then that changed? That's the only thing that matters is what you think. It's the only thing that matters is what you think and what you believe. If you don't believe something's possible, it's not. You're done already. You're cooked. I mean, none of this is new, right, oh. Stephen? I mean, none of this is new, but no one ever showed it to me. I mean, I read Psycho-Cybernetics. Only, I have a short attention span. I got halfway through the book. I noticed the story starting to repeat. I said, okay, I'm done. But basically, the mind, it, it, it's all biblical, too. I mean, you don't have to. This stuff was all written 2,000 years ago. You know, as, as, as you believe that's how you are. I mean, I can't, I'm not a theologian. I can't quote you word for word, but I know it's, I know he said, wow. you know, what you read is what you're going to be. What you, how you talk is who you're going to be. Who you listen to is who you're going to be. So it's all about the input around you. You want to change your life, change your self-talk because 
you are the person you speak to more than anybody in the world. And that's what I learned from psycho-cybernetics. And I started listening to my self-talk, and my self-talk was bullshit. It's no wonder I was down in a hole. No wonder I was in a hole. It's funny because this stuff is not new. This stuff has been being talked about for centuries, generations. But for us, we need these reminders. And so it's so, I'm so grateful that you can share this with us and just remind us a little bit. So tell us a little bit about your background as an investor. What is it that you're doing now? Uh, You've obviously come so far from that age 26 where you had this realization that it's time to make a change. Well, I mean, I started flipping houses. I bought my first hundred houses on credit cards because I didn't have any money. When I couldn't negotiate a nothing down deal, I would just get it in the form of, I don't need a down payment. I get it on my credit cards. I, that's not my money either. You know, zero down credit cards. I mean, there's a, yeah. you know, there has to, you have to get into the nuances of that and make sure that it, you can get those credit cards paid off. But, but my first hundred houses, you know, I bought on credit cards. Of course, I live in one of the most affordable housing markets in, in, in the world, in the United States, certainly in, I say in the world, um, for the caliber of living that we have. You know, I could buy a house for fifteen, twenty thousand dollars. That was ten thousand dollars on two, you know, ten thousand each on two credit cards, and I could fix it up for ten thousand. So that's a third credit card. I got ten thousand, and then I'd owner finance the house for sixty thousand, and then sell the note for ninety three percent of what I was owed. And I did it my the my first hundred houses in a row. I did that with credit cards. I would buy the house, sell the house on payments, and then sell the payments before the first payment was ever collected. So there's a big mindset piece here that I don't think people would really grasp onto unless we really point it out. But what you're really saying is a lot of people think, hey, I can't get started doing the things that I want to do because I have this belief that I don't have enough money. But what you did was you you changed that. You said, hey, it doesn't matter if I have money. And this is a process that ended up working out for you. Well, no, I started reading about how to how do you how do you go from zero to being a millionaire? How did these people do it? You start to be this 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 trend. You know, back before the word trend was even sexy, you know, there was this trend you could pick up on. And it took me seven years. There's a difference between reading a concept and understanding what the words on the paper say and owning it right here in your heart. There's a complete difference, the Mm. complete difference. So I read nothing down. It was seven years later that I accidentally screwed up and did something and said, then the light bulb went off. And I said, that's what he was talking about. And now I can buy the world because... You know, Robert Allen had the audacity to suggest that you could be broke and buy real estate. And I thought, well, hell, if that's the requirement, man, I'm so broke, I can buy the whole town by the end of next month, you know. And so, uh, mm-hmm. but I, but what happened was they kept saying in those books, you have to ask for what you need. If you don't have any money and you, and you need payments to be postponed for six months, you just have to ask for what you need. Sometimes they'll say yes. Most of the time, they'll say no. You're just looking for the guy that says yes to everything that you need. And so I started making offers that I could handle as a broke person. But then I evolved. I found so many deals that they wouldn't say yes. They still wanted some money or they still, you know, and I had nothing. Then it dawns on me. I just get a partner with money and I share the profit with him. So in the beginning, when you have nothing, you're just a professional deal finder and writer upper. See, I just came from the ranch. Is that like really Texas? Deal finder, writer, upper guy. That's who you are, okay? So you don't need any money to go find a deal and negotiate 50 cents on the dollar. You don't need any money to do that. And then you don't need any money to get the contract, fill it out, and give yourself 30, 45, 60 days to close. And you don't need any money to go to the next RIA club and say, hey, who wants to be my partner and make 
50% of this 50000 Bring the money. I got the contract. You bring the money. We'll be 50-50 or 60-40. You know I mean? I mean, when I got started, I didn't have any money and I had this big belief in my head that, oh, I couldn't do this thing because I didn't have the capital to do it. And then something just, you know, it was kind of like a light bulb went off and I said, hey, well, there's got to be a way and I'm committed to finding it. And once it's, once you make that decision in your mind, it sounds like even for you, once you made that decision, it was kind of foregone conclusion that you were going to find a way to be financially successful. It wasn't so much a conclusion as it was an aha moment that said, that's what they've been talking about. I just accidentally did it. Now I get it. You know, now it's like, I got the taste of blood now, man. I'm going to go out hunting every day now. You know, I own the concept in my heart. You don't need money to make money in real estate. You're a professional deal finder. If you find a deal before anybody else and you get it papered up right, then that that position that you've gotten yourself into is very valuable, depending on how valuable the deal is. And it has really nothing to do with you. You can be black, green, don't speak the language, can't read, can't write, doesn't matter. You got the deal in your hand, then someone wants part of it will bring the money. Absolutely. So for those people who are kind of still caught up here and they they have the belief that, oh, man, I just I don't know if I can do it. I don't have the funds. I don't have the means. What would you say that might push them over? Or what would you recommend that they do to be able to own that in their heart, to be able to feel that physically and say, oh, that idea is now a belief of mine? Uh, study people who started from zero. That you, you Notice how they did it. They didn't have any more. Everyone I know, you, you just said it. Everyone I know in the business, with the exception of one or two people, started with no money. I know two people that started with a lot of money. And then eventually they had to learn how to do it with no money because they lost it all. Because when you... People jump into this game when they have a lot of money. They think it's easy, and they don't learn to hone their skills because they, they can write a check too easy. And so I tell people that come to me, you know, uh, sometimes I take on about 15, 20 students a year one-on-one. Some of them come to me and go, you know, I got $500,000, and we want to get in the business. And I said, great, take the 500000 go put it in a uh, one-year CD, and if you can't figure out how to make money in this business without any of your money, stay the hell out of it because you're going to lose your money. Mm, mm, that's fascinating. Once you know how to make money without any money, now we go use your money. Because then you can really accelerate that growth without losing it. You understand what it takes to run this business right because when you run a business on a shoelace, it's a lot different than when you can just stroke a check anytime you want to for $500,000 in a row. Yeah. Yeah, that's so fascinating. So what are some of the challenges that people run into in their mind when they're getting started in this business? Because obviously you've been coaching and working with folks for a really long time while doing this business actively. What are some of those challenges that people that people have and how do they get over them? Well, the biggest challenge I saw was people don't believe that private money's out there for them. It's for mm-hmm. someone else, but not for them because they're too short. They're too tall. They have a bankruptcy. They have bad credit. They're shy. They're not a salesperson. They, they um, don't know people with money. They, you know, the list goes on and on. I'm too young. That's what was my partner's problem was. And this is the answer to it. So I started, I, I did a course called Private Money Changes Everything. And, and the biggest thing that we had to overcome with almost all the people that I knew that wanted to raise private money was that they thought it was about them. And, and they had all these obstacles why they weren't good enough to get the money. It wasn't about them at all. When I told my partner, I said, hey, I noticed you went through your family's money real easy. You know, you got that money, but then you can't go out past your family and get mm-hmm. money. What, what's the matter? He says, 
I don't know. I said, well, there's something. I mean, why aren't you going to, to other people, strangers, and asking for money? And then he called me back the next two days. He goes, I know what it is. I said, what is it? He goes, I'm too young. I'm 24 years old. Why is anybody, all these people with the money are in their 60s and 70s. They're very successful. I don't even, he says, I don't even own my own house. Why in the hell are they going to loan me 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 thousand dollars? Why would they loan it to me? I said, it's not about you. It's about the deal. It's about what's going to happen if you don't pay him back. If the answer to that question is good enough, who cares about you? Charles Manson should have been able to get this money from jail, you know, because it's this simple. Hey, I got a house worth 150000 I need $70,000 to get into this house, and we're going to sell it and make a bunch of profit. If I don't pay you the $70,000 back, you get my $150,000 house. So you either get paid as agreed whatever interest rate we agree on and whatever payment schedule we agree on, or you get my $150,000 house and you only got 70, 70, 75,000 in it. So you either, actually in this scenario, the worst thing that'll happen to you, Mr. Private Lender, is if I pay you on time, because the very best thing that's going to happen to you is if I don't pay you and you get my house. And by the way, if I can't pay you, which has never happened in my career, but if I couldn't pay someone, I will walk the deed over. No one's going to have to chase me, take me to foreclosure or anything. Me or if I'm dead, my office will walk it over to you. And one of the things that happens, if it ever got to a point where I couldn't pay someone, is I owe them a deed. And I walk it down to you. You don't have to chase me around if I couldn't pay. Now, that's like I said, it's never happened. But my the private money I'm getting is, you might want to write it down, 8% interest only, five years non-recourse, collateral only, payable monthly, and wrappable. And there's variations of that. I can pay 9% if you give me a 10-year amortization. I can pay 10% if you give me a 15-year fully amortizing loan. I can do some, you know, there's a lot of things to do about it. But the biggest thing is people not understanding that how to raise private money and why it's not all about them. It's really not all about them at all even in the least bit, although it helps, you know, if you have some things going for you, tout them those things. If you don't have a lot going for you, tout the value of the collateral uh, versus what they're loaning. Yeah. I have $20 million of private money. So while we're on this topic, I think it's important to outline that it sounds like you're saying it's just about the deal. And when you talk to people and maybe you're, maybe you're new or maybe you've got, you know, as much experience as you do, and they hear 8% or 10% or 12% or these big numbers, they think, oh, well, that sounds too good to be true. Well, you got to be careful. Why is it so high? It must be risky. You got to be careful at 12%. I mean, 10 or under. But the other way to do it is if you're not, if you're not advertising out front to, you know, to strangers, is you, you could just say, you know, I borrow this money from private people and I give them collateral. And if they say, well, how much are you paying? And, and there's ways to get people to ask you the questions you want them to ask you. It's called NLP, right? Uh-huh. You know, if I wanted, let's do a little role play. If I wanted you to ask me, what are you paying? Mm -hmm. And then I'll show you how not to name the number because really the first person who names a number loses, right? So, so Stephen, so take a look at this, you know, I want to show you my business plan here. And you see, I'm, I'm, I'm paying these private people pretty dang good interest rates. Good interest rates? I mean, you know, it just kind of begs the question, right? I, I didn't say what I was paying them. I said, well, I'm willing to pay whatever is fair for you. What's fair? I mean, you know, CD rates are, what, 1.5% now, 
1%. I don't know. I'm willing to pay better than that. What, what, what do you want? How much do you want? So I just set the bar real low by talking about the deal. But I said I'm willing to be fair. Mm-hmm. What, what, what do you want? I mean, how much do you want? What would seem fair to, what would seem fair to you, Mitch? Well, fair to me would be like 4%. <laughs> but, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I'm the one borrowing the money. Um, but no matter what they say, I can probably come up with a set of terms that would let them make that money. So it's kind of like you're putting it out there. You're getting them to ask you questions so that they're... I never ask people to loan me money. I get myself in a position to show people what I do, and then I make them ask me questions about it. Like, like let's just say you're an attorney. Hey, uh-huh. hey Stephen, uh, this is Mitch, Stephen. I, I, I live in your city. I'm uh, getting ready to go into this business where I'm going to need an attorney, and it's in the real estate business. I don't need someone to do documents. Can I get a free 30-minute consultation with you to see if maybe... You're, you're going to be my guy to do all my paperwork. I mean, who's going to say no to that, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, unless they just say, I hate real estate. Don't do it. You know, okay, good. I don't want to talk to you anyways. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so then I get over there, Stephen, and, and all I do is say, well, let me show you what I'm doing, and then you can tell me what kind of paperwork I need. I don't give a crap about the paperwork. I already know what paperwork I need. I just need him to hear what I'm doing and start asking me questions about what I'm doing. So I say, well, yeah. I buy houses for 50000 and I borrow them from from private people. You know, I, I borrow this money, and I'm getting it at interest only for five years fixed. You know, at eight percent. And um, don't you think that's a good rate of return that these entities are making? You know, I and do you think this entity is pretty safe because the house that they're borrowing against is a hundred thousand? And I just keep saying this entity, this entity, and until finally they go, who the hell's loaning you this money? That's the question I want them to ask me. Who, who, who's loaning you? Then you just lean okay. back in the chair. You take off your glasses. You cross your legs and go, well, I'm, I'm getting it from private people who are sick and tired of the stock market and can't live with 1% anymore. They're sick and tired of that too. So they find me and I'm paying them 8% and I'm giving them a real piece of tangible collateral in the first lien position. So like if, if they don't get paid, they get a house. Why, Stephen? Do you know someone we can help? <laughs> I mean, it seems like uh, such a clear conversation, right? I don't want to, I don't have to ask you if you want to do it. If you want to do it, you'll tell me. Yeah. By putting it out there, the people who want are going to say, they're going to step up. They're going to be like, oh, how, do, how do I get in on this, Mitch? You know, and sometimes they guys? say, I say, why? Do you know someone we can help? You know someone who needs 8% with this kind of security? Mm. And they go, hell yeah, I do. Me. That's like seven out of the 10 times I pitch it. You know, so, you know, how many, how many attorneys could you interview in a year? How many are there in your town? You could never end. Yeah, hundreds. You could never end. And if they don't want to do it, then you, as you're leaving the room, you just turn around, do the old Columbo clothes. I don't remember, remember that sitcom Columbo. You hold your forehead and go, oh, one last <laughs> thing. Do you know anybody that would want to do this? You know, if they don't get that far. Some, usually if they're that obstinate, though. They're, they're not a good candidate for your business because they're just not business driven. Anybody in business, when you start talking about where this, you're getting this kind of money and it's this long and it's wrappable and it's all this, where are you getting that money? Any businessman in the world is going to ask the question, where are you getting that money? And then you get a chance to pitch it. But because the, the minute you walk in and say, hey, can I, I want to talk to you about borrowing money. First of all, they don't want to give you the appointment. And if they do, you meet them at the door, they're like this. They're in a boxing position. They're in a self-defense position. So try not to ever ask anybody. Just try to present yeah. what you're doing. And that's what I did in my that, that private money course. I showed you how to get them to ask you all the questions that you need. And there was only like 21 objections that re- reoccur. And uh, I gave the answers to those. 
it's pretty easy. It's, I like to tell people that topic or that – that's not a really deep, bulky topic. It's like cheesecake, you know? It's not a very big piece, but it sure does fill you up. <laughs> well, I love that. I love that because it's that mindset of realizing what talk tracks you're going to use. How am I going to think about going into this conversation? And how am I going to value myself as bringing value to this other person rather than me asking for something? Because a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to ask for money. And you shouldn't have to because you're actually offering a great opportunity. If you know, if you're the kind of guy that has trouble asking, that's a great thing about my tactic is we don't ever ask. Mm-hmm. We don't ever ask. We just show you. Let me show you what some of my friends are doing. You know, or, or, or let me ask you a question. I really value your business prowess. You've been a successful businessman for a long time. I want to show you what I'm fixing to jump into. Head, head, you know, up ears deep. And I want you to see mm-hmm. if you can poke any holes on it. Now, here we go. Well, first of all, I do this and I borrow this money, and you know, and then I just get in the conversation. And pretty soon they're going. I love it. Eight percent—that's pretty good rate. And I'm going. Yeah, I, I think it's fair for every for, for those entities. Well, who are those? Who is that entity? Oh, well, they're just regular people like you. That's great. So, Mitch, tell me, how do you define success, and what is success to you? Yeah, that's a big question. You know, the success has been different things at different times in my life. When you're broke, success means you know you make it get to where you're making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. You know what I mean? Or whatever, a hundred thousand, whatever, and and it always started out like just give me fifty, and then after I got fifty, it's okay. I need a hundred, and then after that, I need a hundred and fifty. You know, but so in the beginning, it was driven by by money. But when you, if you ever have the pleasure of experiencing more money than you can spend, you'll find out that money is not every. It's not the end all of the equation. It's just a very big. It's a piece of it, and probably a, a nice big chunky piece. But after you get there, you know that money's not not gonna buy you happiness at all it's old saying it probably will cause more strife than uh as much strife it can it can cause as much strife as 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 pleasure you know what i mean uh there's a lot of temptations when you have money you can do things that are Mm -hmm. normally Mm -hmm. not available to you uh there's also the risk of losing it that big fall but but I'd stay conservative. I think success is having a nice, is having a balanced life. Enough money, enough love, enough exercise, enough relaxation, enough food, enough drink, Mm -hmm. but just enough, not too much and not too little. And finding your own balance. For people who have found where their balance in life is among all those categories, I think they've been very successful. Yeah, getting that place of enough contentment seems to be a really a strong place. So what are some of your keystone habits, the things that you do on a daily or weekly basis that help you stay on that track of success uh, that, that you're, you've been working on for so long? Again, they start out as key habits on one day. And then as you progress through your journey and up the ladder, these habits change. Um, uh-huh. I used to a firm believer in that the amount of work you get done by uh, 10 o'clock in the day measures whether you're successful in the day or not. You can spend the whole rest of the day and work till midnight. It's how much you get done by 10 o'clock. And to get something done by 10 o'clock, you really need to be uh, alarm at six, at least in, in six thirty, six forty-five, seven. You're, 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 you're running, you're running. You can, mm-hmm. some people get up earlier than that because they like the quiet and the solitude of that so they can get some things done before. I just never could because I was such a late, I, I'm a night owl. And so I would work from seven till mm-hmm. 
11, 12, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning and getting up any earlier than 6 for me was not uh, an option, but that's just the way my life ran. But I, but I do believe there's this little quiet space in the morning, you know, for two hours before all the shit hits the fan and the phones start ringing and the fires start getting started and everyone's got emergencies and checks need to be written and materials are delivered to the wrong place and all that crap. That two hours is really good to get your collective crap together and get a plan so that you're organized and you're and, and you're not trying to wing that organization while while the shit shows happen. Yeah. Got to get got to get going on those things. I've noticed for myself, if I start the day late, I, I'm also a night owl. When I start the day late, it's feels like I, I don't really wasted, accomplish that much. It's yeah, like a wasted day. Really, I get it. Uh, now these days, you know, I'm 58. I, I don't have to work anymore. People go, "Well, why are you working?" I said, "Well, I already retired once for two years." And what is a relatively and uh, a relatively decent looking person that still has a lot of energy? way more money than they need and nothing but time that can be a really dangerous recipe for some people. And apparently, you know, that could be a dangerous recipe for me. So I said, I better get back to, I need to get back to work and focus on something a little more important than the stuff that I'm um, doing. And I'm not saying that I was doing anything horrible, but you know, when it doesn't matter if you have a drink at noon then you have a drink at noon, but when you start having a drink every noon, totally. and then if you have a drink at noon, at least for me, then, um, you know, that leads to another, another, and the day's over at noon, basically. The day you take, the, for me, when I take the first drink, that day's over for the rest of the day. So I found myself yeah. getting in, in some looser habits, and, um, and yeah. when I'm engaged, and when I'm talking to people, and when I'm trying to grow my business, I don't, I don't, I don't have a lot of time for the other BS, you know? People need a purpose. They need something to be doing with their time and some reason to be getting up every day. So I can definitely appreciate that. So we've made it to the growth rapid fire round where the questions are quick, but the answers don't need to be. So tell me, what's a book that's impacted your life the most or one you're excited about right now? Well, of course, the, the Bible is the, the biggest one of all time. It, in, it includes everything by Zig Ziglar and everything by who wrote Cyber, Cybernetics, uh, Maxwell, uh, Oh, malts, malts. Mm -hmm. It includes everything. It's just it's not specialized into these different businesses. I I like Rich Dad Poor Dad. I liked Nothing Down by Robert Allen. I certainly I, I read a book called uh, Self Made in America by John McCormick, which posed the question: Why mm -hmm. can immigrants come here, not know the culture, and not even know the language, and become? financially independent within 6, 8, 10, 12 years, and we as Americans can live here and be born in this country right on the corner of prosperity and opportunity and, and, and don't get financially free for 70 years, and we die not financially free. Why is that? And uh, mm -hmm. the answers were pretty simple. First of all, we take this country and its infrastructure and its chance to make you great for granted. That's the number one thing. We, we live so close to success that we can't even see it. These people come from places like genocide, uh, communism, you know, horrible situations. And when they land in the United States of America and no one's trying to kill them because they're trying to chase their freedom, they immediately see the potential and they'll sleep on a floor for six years till they own everything. And we're so busy out, you know, mm -hmm. you know, we move from $40,000 to $55,000 in pay. And so they go out and get a 
freaking hundred thousand dollar boat for the weekend, you know? Uh, so I started yeah. a- after I read that book, it was very clear to me why I wasn't where I wanted to be. I was not sacrificing at near the level these people were. And while I wasn't probably going to sacrifice as much completely as they did, because I wasn't raised to even be able to do it, I was going to up my sacrifice, my, my sacrifice bar way higher, way like I doubled what I was sacrificing. Some of these people would sleep, you know, at the, they would, they would work at the food court. And then when it was, over the day was over they rolled down the doors and all that stuff and they would get really quiet and they would never leave they never left the food court for a year they slept in there they ate the leftover donuts they drank the leftover coffee they bathed with rags and towels and you know and used the the mall facilities until they bought the place it's that kind of drive that really allows so many immigrants to have such a higher percentage of turning into you know, financial freedom. Even when they got it, they sent home for their people and their people, and they still did it together, even though one was, one of them had already kind of gotten to a place where they could stop. They started helping other people. It's something we can, it was amazing. It's something we can really definitely take away and apply in our own lives. So from an inspiration standpoint, who are some of your mentors and how did you look, how do you look at finding great mentors in your life? Well, there's the, um, there's the, the, the ones that we can pay to be in front of, you know, Ron Legrand was a, was a big you know, Lou Brown. Um, mm-hmm. Those were two of the ones that I really connected with. And I think a lot of people over the years have, but then there was private people. You know, I knew people that I knew high school dropouts that owned 500 houses free and clear. I knew, I knew people that were, were able to go eat and go vacation and fly and do anything they wanted all the time. And they weren't that much older than I was at the time when I was in my thirties. And I, I just got around those people and wanted to know, like, how did you do this? Kiyosaki says, you know, the, you know, the households that don't have any money, those are the households you sit down at dinner and they don't want to talk about business. We don't want to talk about money. The households that have money, they sit down at the table to discuss, to discuss what went on today, how much money was made or how much money was lost and what the pluses and the minuses were the business today, you know, chairs past the, past the mashed potatoes. So, you know, a lot of people go, how come, how come I'm not rich? I said, well, how, how much have you studied money? I mean, how many hours have you spent mm-hmm. studying how money comes into someone's bank account? And most of them will go, mm-hmm. well, they don't study at all. So how can you expect to achieve or excel at something like getting money to come to you if you don't study that exact topic? And then Malcolm Gladwell, the 10,000 hours, you know, 10,000 hours separates a guy that's pretty good at what he does and one of the best in the world. They're separated by 10,000 hours of doing it. You know, look mm-hmm. at the best violinists in the world or piano players. You know, they have, they have well over 10,000 hours. And so you've got to put in that time studying the things that are important to you, it sounds like. I can appreciate that. Well, the kicker to that whole thing, though, is you'll never put in 10,000 hours at something you hate. So you have to find the passion of something you want to do that turns you on. I don't know why I, mm. I get excited about buying houses, but me and a guy named Sam Madrid uh, did a, helped each other do a deal one time, and then we decided to do a deal together. And we started talking about house flipping, and we didn't stop for 10 years straight. That conversation never ended. If our eyes were open, he and I were talking about how to do better, get bigger, and move faster. And, and, and we were meeting everyone we could. I'm sure there's people out there will be happy to give you a testimonial that they were sick of me <laughs> chasing them around. <laughs> 
That's what I love about real estate people is we all seem to be obsessed with this with this thing called real estate. Well, the point the point is, you, you know, I was working when I first started 14, 16, 18 hours a day, but it did not feel like it worked because I was on fire with the prospect. Now, was it work? Yeah, it was work. And I know it was work. And would I rather have been on a beach? Yeah, I would have rather. But since that wasn't a choice because I was broke, then this was the next best thing. Mitchum wrote in his book, you know, The Master in the Art of Living. There's a quote. Look it up. The Master in the Art of Living. He doesn't know whether he's working or playing. He, to him, he's always doing both. That's how I was able to be successful is I found something that I wanted to do for long hours at a time and got turned on by it. And, and I think a lot of it had to do was I could see how you could really get ahead if you did this. And mm-hmm. when it quit being fun, uh, you know, the actual deal chasing and the, that stuff, you know, I, I was fortunate enough. I found a partner who wanted to chase the deals and I had been all these years in the business and have millions upon millions upon millions of dollars of private money at my disposal. And I said, you know, if you want to keep this business going, you got to take up that side of the equation and I'll just keep the money alive and you'll never have to um, worry about where the funding for a deal is coming from ever. And he said, I'll take that deal. I said, okay, but I don't want you getting pissed off if like I'm in Hawaii or New Mexico or, or wherever vacationing or relaxing. Um, my job is to keep the money flowing from wherever I'm at. And that's that growth. That's the growth of your your career is that you can always, there's always another place that you can go to and and do the things that you love the most. Um, that, was the la- that was the last really big uh, rung on my ladder was I had to learn how to make a business run without me being in it. And it took me a year and a half and $30,000 in a mastermind group and being around some special people asking for a very specific um outcome. I wanted to know how how in the world do I buy houses and sell houses without seeing them. I'm, I'm happy to report to you today the last 300 houses I've bought, I have not seen. I have not seen the last 300 people, nor have I talked to or even seen a document from the last 300 people that bought my houses. So there's always something, there's always another level to achieve, you know. I love it. And so finally, the last question I have for you here, Mitch, is purpose. What drives you to live your best life every day? I think really the only reason we're put on this planet is to love and help each other. Um, The older I get, the more I believe it's true. So I'm trying to give locally in my city. I'm helping people move from being renters to being owners because I sell every one of my houses. I have an owner finance strategy. I sell every one of my houses on a 30-year fixed note. No balloon. Mm-hmm. You don't have to requalify. And the payments, PITI, are equal to the rent of the house across the street, plus or minus a few dollars. And mm-hmm. so the separator being, do you have enough down payment so that I, I can get over your lack of, uh, I don't know, credit or whatever. Credit. Yeah, so – that's what I do. I, I'm helping my 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 daughter and, and the family members around me see how to build a business and how to keep money, how to make it work for you. Um, I'm helping communities by turning neighborhoods, me and my friends, one crack house at a time. We fix them up. We take them off the tax rolls. You know, when, when we buy these crack houses and all these rundown houses – their tax basis is very low. The city's collecting very little money from them. By the time we finish rehabbing and everything, the tax assessments are way high. These school districts or municipalities are getting a lot more money. Then I started educating people. I thought I ed- was educating people because I was trying to help other people get smart. 
what really happened was I was talking to so many people across the country that was making me smarter and fast because I was talking to so the smartest guy in the room is I mean, the guy that's learning the most in the room is the teacher. Teacher's one guy trying to disseminate Mm -hmm. the 40. The room is 40 that's disseminating feedback to one. The 40 to one is a much faster growing pace. Well, this has been really beneficial for me, and I know all of you listeners out there, I'm sure you took away some big some big lessons, some big lessons learned. I know I'll be listening to this over and over again, as I do with most episodes. So, Mitch, where can people find out more about you or get in touch? Uh, I'm at my ranch in Bigfoot, Texas, um, <laughs> but that's probably, that's probably a long haul, so why don't you just go to um, 1000houses.com, 1000houses.com. And there you can get all kinds of free stuff. Just click on the tab that says free stuff. There's webinars. There's um, You can get a copy of my book for free if you'll just pay the shipping. I, the book costs about $7.50 to ship. And as much as I'd love to just give it away to everybody in the world, I might overload myself and send out hundreds and thousands of books and cost too much. But anyways, uh, it's well worth it. Um, you can get the first 100 pages free if you just want to see if you want to check it out. There's so much free stuff there that I get in trouble from the, you know, there's gurus out there that tell me that I'm giving everything away. I said, look, this stuff is all out there anyways. I just got it organized a little bit. And they're really, I believe that enough people will decide that they need a coach or a mentor so that they can shortcut through that stuff. Now you can go to my site and learn how to do what I do. I've, I've not held anything back, but I think, I think, a lot of the really sharp people understand that having someone who's done it and is doing it right now to the tune of a hundred houses a, a year, it's just going to, you know, there's only so much you can get from a book. Book can't, book may not pick you up off the ground. It may not tap you on the shoulder and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. You're, you're not, you're not, you're not looking over here. You know, I can talk to people on the phone and the hair on my neck will start to tell me, you know what, Stephen, you need to go to the back left-hand corner of that lot. You need to dig a four-foot deep hole that's four-foot wide and call me back. And then you call me back and go, how in the hell did you know that was buried back there? And I say, you know what, I talked to that asshole before, and I know exactly what they're trying to do to you. (laughs) Well, Mitch, thank you so very much. This was great. I really encourage you guys to check it out. We'll have all that information in the show notes here. uh, And uh, look forward to the next time we get to hang out. Hey, My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. What an incredible episode. I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed putting it together. And I want to tell you about this incredible program that we're now releasing. We're putting it out live and I want you to be a part of it. If you happen to be a high-level real estate investor who's really pushing things to the next level, who want to get the most out of their business, they want to take consistent action on a regular basis and work from a place of clarity so you actually can end up at the outcome that you originally got into this game for. I don't know if you're anything like me, but I know when I got into real estate investing, I had planned on doing this so that I could get passive cash flow. And I got distracted along the way. And I got distracted with things that were incredible and amazing, and I grew like crazy. But sometimes we got to get back to that core. What are we doing this for and why are we doing this? And there's so many, there's so many things that we're learning in every single episode that 
we need to start applying in our daily basis every single day. So what I've put together and I've brought together an incredible mindset coach who has been doing this for years and years, has 25,000 hours, previously worked with the Tony Robbins organization and many others, and is going to be delivering and training us. He's agreed to do this in a small group setting. Um, so I know a ton of people are going to be interested, and there's very limited spots available. This is not full scarcity. We're only going to take 15 people for the first group. So please make sure you head over to the website, theinvestormindset.com slash action, so you can find out a little bit more and add your name to the wait list so that when we're ready to pull you in, we can start having that conversation and decide if you're a great fit. I know the power of this stuff. I've invested tens and tens and tens of thousands of dollars in order to grow myself and my business to the next level. And that's exactly why I'm so grateful that we're going to be bringing this out live and really making a big difference. So join us in this mini mastermind online, this program, and let's help do some incredible things together. Thank you for listening to the Investor Mindset Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Head over to theinvestormindset.com to join the Insider Club, where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level. 